shout with joy to the Lord all the earth and worship the Lord with gladness come to him singing with joy oh and enter his gates with thanksgiving come to his courts with praise oh give thanks to him and let's praise his Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Year. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody, and tell them good morning. in you my God and there you give me rest you are my refuge and my safe place my strength is in your name and though I stumble you won't let me fall you hold me Thank you. 
with love that conquers my every fear. Your kindness draws me near. And though I stumble, you won't let me fall. You hold me in your hand. And you direct my every step. You hold me in your hand. Though I stumble, Carpenter's Way. How are you? You, you, can, you can respond. Good morning, Carpenter's Way. How are you? Okay, too much response for Baptists. Knock it off. Anyway, I know there's no, there's no sweet middle, but it's so good to see you, and uh, I hope you had a really, really great Christmas and New Year's. You want to see something really amazing? The answer is yes. Yes, show us something really amazing, Mark. Watch this. Louise, will you put it up there? Watch this. Actually, it has done us good, and especially this day, I'm very blessed because we've got Bibles. Some of us have been lacking the study Bible like this one. Uh, even the gospel in the church has been difficult to explain the word, but since I've got this one, I think things will go well. I'm happy today that we have received Bibles, but I'm very grateful for the donors who have helped us to get these Bibles to can push on the Word of God around the world. Thank you. We appreciate it. 
Do you remember that Sunday that we had Paul share? Isn't that great? Um, and uh, we got that this week. And uh, man, all those Bibles to all those pastors. What you don't know is after that, uh, they were trying to figure out what they're trying to do is these 650 pastors, they really feel like they need to disciple these people. This is from Uganda. For those of you who are visiting, we're very mission-oriented. And uh, there are 650 pastors that Pastor Paul oversees, and they feel like they need to do some intensive discipleship. And what we learned that Sunday is most of them don't even have a full Bible. Some don't have any Bible in their pastoring villages and have no training. I know you're wondering how you do that. All you do is talk about the gospel over and over. But we, uh, so that morning we took an offering on the spur of the moment, and we raised, I think, like $5,000, and that went towards Bibles for these 650 pastors. And they bought three different kinds, two are language Bibles, and then for some pastors that are in English uh, cities, uh, English-speaking cities, which is the national language uh, or the common language, they uh, bought them life application Bibles so that they have their first commentaries, which is, that's what he was showing you. That's so cool to me. But they had another problem, and as Paul is finally back in Uganda after a year and a half here, and he told me before he left that they're struggling figuring out how to disciple these pastors. How do we do that? We need a location so that we could do, we could, because they have the money to bring these pastors to three different regions to get them to come in for a week at a time and train them, but they didn't have, um, they didn't have a facility to do that. So we took some of your tithes and offerings and we sent $3,500 more and, and rented them space for this year so that they could disciple these pastors. Um, is that cool? So, I mean, it, it is so exciting. And I know you don't know these people, but one day you will. One day you will. And what a privilege to be a part of that. And that's because you give faithfully, seriously. Uh, this is not a, a pump for giving. I just want you to know that you're not just giving to keep lights on or to keep me in sport coats. You, you are giving for the work of the, although I do look better in a sport coat, but we are, you are giving for the purpose of the gospel. He keeps sending me pictures. Um, I could show them to you every week. I won't do that to you, but we're very excited because we started something last year as it relates to missions, and uh, it is to have a Sunday, the last Sunday in February every year. We commit to missions, and we fly one of our missionaries in to share with us, and uh, we've been working on this year since about a month after last year's and we just found out there's several of our international missionaries that are coming this year just to be with us this, this into February. So it's going to be such a great month. The month of February, we commit to missions. The last Sunday, we'll have them here. We're going to do all the tables out there like we did in the past. We want you to know these people you support. We want you to hug their necks. We want, and, and even if they're not huggers, freak them out because that's what you did to me. And, uh, but that's coming up, and uh, what, a, what a cool thing. So um, I just thought that that was a great way to start our year. Um, wonder what the Lord's going to do through us this year. Um, we, I don't know, it's, it's going to be exciting. So anyway, um, if you'll take your worship guides, uh, welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're visiting, I met a few new uh, families this morning that are here. If you look around you and you don't recognize somebody, I know that you don't want to make a fool of yourself. So it's kind of risky to say, is this your first time here? So ask it this way, how long have you been with us? And they will say, well, it's my first time here. And nobody's embarrassed but greet them, okay? Make them feel at home. People need to know where the coffee is. Definitely, definitely. And uh, if you know them, um, invite them back. But we're so glad you're here if you're visiting. Our focus at Carpenter's Way is to study the Word of God uh, and grow in our relationship with Him and encourage others to know Him uh, from the Scriptures. And you're going to hear more of that in the message today. We are right now in the middle of a study called uh, Who is This Man? And it is, a, it is a study of the Gospels, all four Gospels together, 
trying to discover who is Jesus of the Bible. Uh, and uh, we'll get back to that next week. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, what does God expect of us after we're saved? Just a simple look at that. I'm excited about that. That's going to lead us into a time of communion. And if you are a child of God, if you have accepted his offer to forgive your sin, you are welcome to participate with us in communion. If you're not, if you're on a journey just trying to figure out who God is and what to do with your sin, then we would encourage you to meet him today and take communion. But if you're not, just pass the plate. Nobody's going to look at you funny. Um, we're just awfully, awfully glad that you're here. Uh, in the worship guide, there are some announcements. Wednesday night, uh, Carpenter's Way folks, we are starting up our Wednesday nights again, our children, our student ministry, and our adult ministries. Uh, for half of our Wednesday night adults, we're going to undeck these halls. Uh, it won't take us very long, but we need your help to do that. And then we'll do a short sharing time. But uh, the rest of the ministries will all start at 6.30. And then next Sunday, if you look in your worship guide, our Wednesday night adult time, which is called Koinonia, is going to begin to an eight-week series um, led by Kip Havard one of our pastors here, and then uh, it's going to be a, on Ravi Zacharias. It's, we're going to take snippets of videos, and then we're going to talk about the topics that he's on. We, we have done Bible studies in the past, and we'll do some in the future on Wednesday nights, but we've really come to realize that there needs to be a format in the church where people can talk about cultural, relevant things from Scripture. Scripture, look at that. So uh, that's what we're doing on Wednesday nights with adults. And uh, so this Wednesday night, we're going to undeck the halls. Uh, next Wednesday night, we'll start our adult koinonia up again. Students and children start this Wednesday night, so y'all come out and uh, participate with your family. And, and uh, I, think, um, I think that pretty much does it for the announcements uh, that I want to make this morning. I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come up at this time as we take our offering. Um, if you are visiting with us, we ask that you not give. This is for those who attend on a regular basis. We're awfully glad to have you with us this morning, and we don't want you distracted by money or anything like that. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. So thanks for being here, and uh, we're going to have a great time together. Let's commit our service to the Lord. Father God, thank you for uh, calling us together this morning. We thank you for those who are here every week and those who are uh, visiting with us today, and it is our prayer, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would draw them to yourself, Father, I pray that, uh, that there's love in this place, that there's concern for one another. I pray as we continue singing and Chad and his team leads us and we open your word, Father, challenge us to be more like your son. So um, we thank you for what you're doing in Uganda. Thank you that we get to be a part. Uh, Father, we pray that each of these Bibles that we have been able to purchase and those that were purchased by other churches, and Father, that you would um, just teach these pastors about yourself, draw them to yourself so that they can draw others to you as well. We love you. We're thankful for today, and we pray that you would guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. The offering plate passes. Uh, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us if you want. From heaven's throne, you came to us. And set your heart upon the cross We'll never know the sacrifice you made For all our sin and all our shame You took the nails, you took our place And no one else could do what you have done One name is higher, one name is strong.
exalted over all. And from the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. Oh, you're reigning now, the Savior of the world. What name is higher? What name is stronger than any grave, than any throne? Christ exalted over all, the only Savior. church body just individuals right now there's a lot of uh just hurt probably just a lot of pain uh you know with the new year it's kind of this this opportunity to reflect but just some of the stuff that's happened over the last few weeks um it's a lot of confusion i think a lot of questions why why does stuff happen uh where are you god why are you not doing what i want you to do how why are you not handling this the way that i would like you to handle how does this happen those kind of things and i'm going to uh introduce a new song to you guys um if you want to sit, you can. If you want to stand, it's really up to you guys. Uh, it's called Sovereign Over Us. And um, just, yeah, it's kind of the point that he is, he is sovereign, even when it doesn't make sense. Even in the middle of the pain, he's using it for our good. He's using it for his glory. And so, uh, yeah, just if you, if you get the song, you can jump in and start singing with us. If not, just kind of, just kind of listen.
There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you made us in our mourning. With the love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. And beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your way? Raining high above the heaven, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. You're surrounding, you uphold me. And your promises are mighty light. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever.
And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us, believers, in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll,
to a place as individuals, as a church, God, that we can look out across the landscape and no matter what, say, it is well. God, we trust you. We ask so that you would help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. As the kids go to their programming, uh, I want to, let's pray for them. Uh, this is a uh, pivotal time in their life, and we want them to know Jesus. So let's just take a moment and add to Chad's prayer for these children. Father God, as these kids go to their programming, we pray for their leaders, that they would preach the word, teach the word un, um, unashamed, unwaverly. We pray for these children, that their hearts would be good ground for the truth. Lord Jesus, bless what's about to happen in that place and in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Anybody get something unique for Christmas this year? Something really different? I know, you're not supposed to answer when a guy's at the pole. There. What was your, what? What'd you get for Christmas? Something, something, just, just tell me. A World War I era Russian sniper rifle. For those of you watching in Ohio, that's what we do in Texas. That's, a, that's a, wow, that's a mouthful. Anybody else? A, a washing machine. We also do that. Practical and violent. Both those things. <laughs> what was your favorite gathering this Christmas? Something unique happened? I think the uh, Casey's family, that brother, uh, her family from Virginia came down. So they got to be together for the first time in many, many years. And her mom got sick as a result of it and have some sort of infection. But it was a good time while they had it. Anybody else have a neat family gathering? The rest of you are glad it's over. I know. I know how that is. Uh, Christmas Eve what? Here. Christmas Eve here at Carpenter's Way. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Well, I want to show you one of my all-time best gifts that I ever got at Christmas. Uh, Louise, would you put that up there? This is a Commodore 64, and I got it on my 11th uh, grade, when I was in 11th grade, 1983, which still doesn't sound like that old. Do you ever notice, um, you know when the kids dress up in the 80s look for school? I, I'm from Southern California, you know, the hub of the 80s. I want you to know we didn't dress like that. Madonna did. They did, in, they did in the valley, but we didn't dress like that in Southern California. Nonetheless, if you ever have an 80s day where you can dress up, you ask me, I can tell you what to wear. But, but this is one of the things. This, was, this is a Commodore 64. And uh, it was the first, it wasn't the first personal computer, it was the first personal computer that was mass marketed. You could buy this at Sears, and I was so excited to get it, I unwrapped it, and I opened it, and I plugged it into my TV. And what I mean by that is you would take this weird thing that you would plug into your coax on the back of the TV, and then you would plug this in, and something like this would show up. Now, for those of you who are IT people, some have already seen it and corrected me. I know that this is a Microsoft Windows DOS you know, prompt, but, but bear with me. That's kind of what it looked like, and it was awesome. There was just one problem. I had no idea what to do with it. Not a clue. 
We had a manual for it, and that manual, I started reading it, and I did with that what you did with the manual for your washing machine. I got through the first page and went, I know all this stuff, but uh, I didn't. And basically what I did was I spent the next couple of days typing letters. And that's what I got. Within 48 hours, I was back at this video game. Uh, if you'll put the next one up there. This, uh, this was a high graphic video game system that I played with all the way through school. Boop, boop, boop. Remember that? What's really funny, have you guys noticed that it's coming back? Now you can buy your $300, $400 game machine and you can get vintage games that play just like our non-vintage games play. Oh, to have my old Atari system back. Remember that little handle? And if you got really violent, you broke it off. But this is, uh, I went back to that. Um, as I was thinking about what to talk about today before communion, I was thinking a lot about the Christian life. Um, and I think, I think a lot of us deal with the Christian life in, in a similar way that I dealt with my Commodore 64. Because the truth is, I had it. In fact, I don't know what happened to it. My mom and dad got divorced after I went to college. And I think, I think the whole family lost it in the divorce, if only. It never had any use. I didn't know what to do with it. It, it looked like this all the time. Would you put that picture back up? Right there. That's what it looked like all the time. And uh, I would type letters to myself because I didn't know how to send them. And finally, I, my parents, uh, I, so my birthday's in November, Christmas is in December, and usually they would combine those gifts. Um, and I also ended up later that year getting a printer for it. Remember those printers? They were enormous, and they would, you know, and it, it, you had these paper things that would slide through. And so I would write letters on this and print it out, and it looked just like that. I could never get it to print the actual letter. Um, the fact is that I had that Commodore 64 all the way through till I went to college. I didn't use it in college. I went back to a typewriter. I remember, and, and for those of you who are younger, this will blow your mind, we did all of our papers on typewriters. And if you had a lot of money, you had an electric typewriter. If you had more money, it had a white, remember the white ribbon on there that would erase. So editing was rewriting your paper back in the day. My first compu real computer was an Apple computer when I took my first ministry in 1987. And it looked just like that. I accepted that little Apple logo, and then I'd get in there, and it was green. But the, the truth is, I think a lot of us kind of run their lives, their Christian lives, a lot like I ran the Commodore 64. I mean, we're saved. We're excited. We, we know we're forgiven. We own heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. We've got the manual in front of us. And we start reading it, but somewhere along the line, it's like that. It just doesn't do anything. And when we go to church or when we listen to people preach, it's always about the gospel. And once in a while, at the new year, we decide that we're going to read the manual. We're going to get into it. We're going to actually, uh, we're going to actually be what we think God intended for us to be in this life, whatever that means. And so like me with my Commodore 64, we plug it back in, we get it all working, and it still looks like that. About three weeks into it, we're kind of going... Let's get back to the Atari, and we fall back into our, oh, this is great. During the whole message, this thing's going to go back and forth. But we go back to the familiar because that's what we do. Now, we like, we go to church, and we like worship music periodically, and we, we, we read verses or the daily bread, but we really don't know the answer to the simple question that should be simple. I'm saved, now what? We really don't know what that means. We have ideas because most of us grew up in Sunday school and we had a little old Sunday school teacher and, and he or she would tell us, 
You need to read the Bible, you need to pray, and you need to live like it. And we would say, okay, I'm going to do all those things, but we really didn't know what that meant. It was, it was kind of something we were told to do, but we don't really get beyond DOS. It's just there, and we type it. <laughs> Louise is on her game today. We, we, we keep typing away, and then we print something out, and it's like, great, and then life gets going again. And, and I, I was thinking about this morning, kind of tying in before we jump back into who is Jesus. And I, I, and, and I, I was thinking about communion and I, I just thought it was time to answer the simple question, now what? I, you might be saved for 50 years, you might be saved a week, but the truth is, that is a fair question. What does God expect of me in this life now that I own eternity? And, and, and to be clear, some of you are going, oh, you don't own it. You just get to go be there. No, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is somehow, although we're worship God, it is for us. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're going to enjoy it. And we own it. And I think a lot of the church, and that's maybe why we struggle in this culture a little bit, I think a lot of the church just is so satisfied with being saved. And they want to be faithful, but, but their answer to what that means is voting or, or having a moral statement or, or posting scripture on Facebook but there's more to it than that. And as I began thinking and praying through this, I was, I was brought to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, because Ephesians chapter 4 actually answers this question. Let me give you some context to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is written to Gentile believers. These Gentile believers was a result of Paul's missionary journey to a, a city named Ephesus. And when he went there, there was, a great, uh, there was great conversion. People were coming to Christ. Well, this bothered the mother church back in Jerusalem because these, these Gentiles weren't becoming Jews. They, they weren't being Jewish. They weren't being circumcised. And Paul goes back to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and the apostles to make the case that these are truly believers. But many of them don't buy into Paul's argument and they continue to put burdens on these people. So Paul, after he's done in Jerusalem arguing their case, he writes to the church a letter the church of Ephesus that we now have as Ephesians. And this letter is all about them being saved. In fact, the first three chapters are all telling them how they got saved, the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their salvation, that they're sealed. He explains in chapter 2 the mystery of the gospel, that Gentiles can be saved the same way the Jews are, and it's not what you do. This, this debate of legalism and what you need to do to be saved, which is nothing but believe, this debate the Jews had continued and that's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians to say, you weren't saved by circumcision, so those who aren't circumcised, why would you be circumcised now that you're already saved? So the, the whole debate continued on through the New Testament. But in chapter 4, he's done with making the case that they're believers. And in chapter 4, Paul is going to answer the question, now what? What do I want from you? What does God want from you? As your apostle to the Gentiles, as the one who ministered to you, Christ, what is it that God expects of you? And that's chapter 4. And in the next few minutes, I want to work through it with you. Paul says in chapter Ephesians 4, 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, and what he means by that is he's in jail. He's in a small cave. He can't come to them now because he's been imprisoned. So I'm a prisoner. I can't come to you, but I beg of you now to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. When I read that this week, it sounded like my Sunday school teacher from fourth grade. Now, memorize, and we would, uh, we went for a while, you know, the 
Tim Lay was my pastor as a young man. And then for a while in the middle, we went to a small church in San Diego called Mission Valley Community Chapel. And when I was done with that, or when I got to a teenage years, I started going to David Jeremiah's church because I went to the high school on that campus. And, but in the middle, we went to this small church. And every Sunday school, in order to get us, there was a real emphasis back then on memorizing scripture. Remember that? Something maybe we should get back to a little bit. But I remember uh, every week if you went and you had a, a, a verse memorized, you would get a piece of candy. Uh, I am a diabetic today by scripture memory. Um, I actually loved it when we had a substitute because John eleven thirty five was my always go-to verse. Anybody remember that verse? That's right. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. <laughs> and they would have to give me a piece of candy or they were a liar. And that would make you a lousy Sunday school teacher. But this kind of sounded like that to me. Lead, lead, a, lead a life worthy of your calling. And if I got up here today and I said, now, come on, Christians, go live like Christians, we would all nod and go, amen, pastor. And then we would go into our life and we would plug in our, our, our Commodore 64 to the TV and we'd go, I'm now going to write a, a something like a Christian. We would start typing away until we run out of energy and then we'd give up because we don't really know what that means. But fortunately, Paul isn't the kind of guy who just tells you to do something. He explains what that looks like. And that's the rest of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2. What does it mean to lead a life worthy of your calling? Glad you asked. Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's only one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. So let me summarize Paul's first instruction of what it means to walk worthy of your calling. How we're to live now that we're saved. In summary, be the church. Be the church. Don't go to church. Be the church. And there is a difference. The church, especially in our culture... And maybe to some degree in the New Testament culture, maybe, but especially in our culture, you have to understand that church has somehow become a spectator sport. You have a teacher if you're not a teacher. You have a pastor if you're not a pastor. You have a worship team if you're not on the worship team. And basically, we sit out here and we, we respond to what's happening up front. We listen, we take in, and we decide what applies to our life, and we go on with our life. It's become a spectator sport. And Paul is actually speaking in this letter opposite of that. I also want to notice at the beginning that Paul's first instruction of walking worthy isn't to the world, it's to the church. It's how we relate to each other. His first instruction isn't go make sure that you tell everybody you know about Jesus. His first instruction is be humble and gentle with each other. What does that look like in this text? Be patient with each other. Actually make allowance for each other's faults. Do you know why he says that? Because we're a mess. The body of Christ is, in fact, a mess. And, and in, this, um, in a culture of, of, of a performance or of, of a show that has become the church, and, and that's just how it is. I know you're sitting out there, and we have LED lights, and I'm up here on the stage, and, and we have a worship team. It's like, well, you do it too. That's the culture we live in. But you've got to push back in your heart against culture and understand that this is only one small piece of the reality of what we do. The real thing that's going on is going on out there in your small groups, in your Bible studies, taking care of each other. The instruction of being humble and gentle with each other, being patient with each other, allowing for each other's faults is because we need to be patient with each other because there's some crazy folks in this church. You can laugh unless you're part of the crazy. 
If we need to, understanding that we need to make allowance for each other's faults is because, well, we all have them. You know, the church isn't a monolith of thought and action and, and emotion and color. It's not even a, a, a monolith of thought in politics. or it's, it's a monolith of thought in Jesus. One spirit. We're united. That was the second thing he said here. We need to be united in spirit and purpose. We need to be humble and gentle with each other and make sure that the core of that is unity in spirit and purpose. Peace, the peace that, that Paul tells us we need to have should be a thing that binds us. And we do this by realizing that we're actually one people, one family, one thing knit together through the very handiwork of God. This should be our worldview as we live life. As Christians, this is your worldview. Again, I think that Satan has done a number in our good, with, with good intention of church. I think we've turned church into an evangelism, evangelism outreach. Uh, the services are evaluated based upon if the gospel has been presented so clearly and people have walked the altar. The problem with that is if we begin to turn this gathering into an evangelism, then we come in thinking that the only person that has real needs is the lost person. That's not true. The person next to you have needs. The person behind you has needs. And they could be saved. You don't evaluate a service based upon how many people walk the aisle. You evaluate the service whether or not the Holy Spirit is there. Not based upon whether tongues is spoke or people are healed, but whether or not God is glorified and pointed to. You see, the first thing Paul says in walking worthy of your calling, you Gentiles, hey, you guys who aren't Jews, who don't circumcise yourself and do all these other things that Jews do, hey, the first thing you need to do is you need to make allowance for each other's weaknesses, you need to be gentle with each other, and you need to be gentle because you have to understand that our focus, our focus and our purpose is God. He is the, the central message. It, our, um, our, the focus of, of our gathering is not how we worship or our denomination or even our experience, but what God has done to make us our kids. Our focus in gathering is God and what he's doing in us. He's, he's not done talking about each of us and how to be the church either. Paul continues in verse 7. He has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. I want, you to soak, I want this to soak in because Paul isn't just telling us how then we should live as we sit there with our little Commodore 64 spiritual life. He's actually explaining it and it's not sexy. It's true. It's not flashy. It doesn't sell well. He's simply telling us what we need to do to walk worthy of our calling. And the first thing is, is take care of each other. Minister to each other. His second thing is know your gift. Serve. Come to serve. And he says that the reason for that is because actually at salvation we became Christ's captive. His captive. In other words, we're the prisoner of Christ. He bought us with the high price of his blood and we, uh, we are completely set free from doing our own thing. We're set free from meandering through life and trying to figure out what it is we're supposed to do. You don't have to sit at the Commodore 64 of your spiritual life and try to figure out what's next. What does God want from you? You can actually understand, I'm your captive. Okay, where are you taking me today, God? It's a worldview change. Realizing that God directs, guides, moves, and you're his captive. You're following him around, and he's going to use you. Well, let's keep going. Life is not about, no matter what the church says, life is not about you or your experience or your goals for yourself. 
You have been taken captive. You have surrendered control of your life when you got saved. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's bowing the knee. It's saying, you're God and I'm not. It's saying, okay, I can't save myself. It's going beyond just not going to hell. It's actually saying, not only do I want to go to heaven, but I want you to run my life. So I'm going to stop living for myself. And the problem is the noise of the church has begun to tell you that God will help you have the best life you could possibly have in your flesh if you only surrender more. And there is large and wealthy brands of Christianity telling you that it's all about you. And Paul is saying it's not about you. You're a captive. You're a captive through the blood of Jesus Christ and your prisoner guard, your owner, your guide, your director, the one who owns you is Jesus. This is the reason, this misunderstanding is the reason that we have so much discord in the body of Christ today. Too many of us, including preachers and writers, are trying to argue and work in Jesus' name their own goals. It is not uncommon to hear or read a book, a Christian book, basically I'm telling you to set a five-year goal, a 10-year goal, a 25-year goal, and that's fine as long as it is whatever God asks. But this whole concept where Paul is telling us how to live as Gentiles for Christ now that we're saved, it's all built on this concept that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're a captive. You're a prisoner of God. And now, because of that, take care of each other. We're family. You see, the most important thing we do is not the preaching and teaching in this church. That's important. The most important thing we do is how we care for each other. And every one of us in this church comes either one of two ways. You come to be served or you come to serve. There's no neutral Christian. Our culture says there is, but the Bible says there's not. In fact, in verse 9, he goes on to say, notice that he said he ascended. This clearly means that Christ descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. God is about God. God's priority is God's plan. That is, that is freaky to a lot of Christians. In fact, to some Christians, it's like, well, God sounds selfish. Let me be clear. When you're God, you can be selfish. Because your plan is the best plan. It's his universe. As the creator of all of this, not just the church, but everything, he knows how to run his universe. And man, human, humans keep trying to find new and better ways of controlling God's universe. Moving away from religion, for instance, and moving into more of a science-oriented world. Nothing wrong with science. But if we replace worship of God with worship of science, we are in danger of removing God which is what has happened in our world. That's why there's so much chaos going on. But if God is about his own will, which is what this text says, then it is our task to spend our days discovering what his work in the world is in which he has placed us, starting, starting with our place within the family of God. So pause for a second. The job of pastors in a church is not to come up with a creative vision for the church that grows the church, but actually to spend their time studying and praying to discover what God's vision for the church is. Take a breath. I'm going to say that again. The role of elders or pastors in the church is not to come up with a new and better marketing plan that grows our church. The job of elders and pastors, according to the New Testament, to spend their time committed to studying the Scriptures in prayer so that what they do in the flock is lead the flock closer to Jesus, not leading the flock closer to a business model that's successful. And guess who keeps us to task for that? You do. You do. You get whatever church you want. 
You get whatever church you work for. You want a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit? Then be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want a church that walks with God? Then walk with God. You want a church whose leadership is, is asking the question, what does God want from us? Then you push us, pray for us, direct us, guide us. That, that is what he's talking about here. But he goes on to say that God filled the universe with himself. He took us captives so that we could do stuff for him. We could do his work. And what is his work? Verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity. Here's the goal. The goal of the church. Now he just told you, what do you do? What's my calling as a believer now? Now that I'm saved, what do you want me to do? As I sit in front of that Commodore 64, what is, what is my task? How do I do life? Take care of each other. Build each other up. Minister to each other. Why? Because you're captives of God. I don't like these people. Doesn't matter if you like them. Make allowance for each other's weakness. Stay committed to each other whether you like them or not. Serve them. Then he went on to explain that, he, that Christ has taken us captive. That's our position in Christ. So that's why we should do these things. And then he finishes it by saying that God has filled the universe with himself. He's his own priority, and that should be our priority. So he's going to explain, he explains then, how he accomplishes his goal in the church through people serving. And his goal is that we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will no longer, that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be immature like children. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, I don't want you being tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. I don't want you influenced by people who try to trick you with lies that sound so clever, they sound like the truth. Rather, I want us to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own work, each part, not just pastors, teachers, elders, apostles, and prophets, but each part does its own special work. It helps other parts to grow so the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. What's he talking about? Paul is saying that God's work for us is to do God's work first within the church. That's his priority. That's how we walk worthy of our calling. And the first thing we must do is be unified, is realizing that the people we worship with are part of our task. Our primary task in this world is to take care of each other. We are the children of the Most High, and some days, as Chad has already mentioned, are most, more discouraging than others. Some are confusing. Every one of us at some point has a tragedy in our life or something scary, and we cry out to God, and sometimes He answers, but a lot of time He doesn't give us the answer we want. I've come to realize lately, and I was talking to the Lord about this last night, I have specific things I want Him to do in my world, and He rarely does the specific things I ask. And I realized last night, I don't want his will in the I don't want his will for my life. I want my will for my life in his name. I want my goal accomplished with a fish attached. I want a church that's bigger. I want a church that's richer. I want a church, whatever. I, I, those aren't necessarily what I want, but those, those are things that are easy to want. I want a family that's perfect. I don't want anybody get, to get sick. I don't want to be sick. I want to go back to, with what I know right now, I'd like to be 35 again. Dear Lord, make me 35 again. Dear Mark, no. Well, at least keep me healthy. Nope. I'm going to let the stress hurt your back. I'm going to give you high blood pressure. Why would you do that to me, God? Because it's the only time you pray, Mark. We're being a little vulnerable here. 
I want to remind you guys that you're either here serving or being served. That's what you do. That's what the church is. Well, I'm kind of neutral. Then you're not saved. There's no neutral parties in the body of Christ. That's not what this is about. This is not a better way to live. This is the only way to live as a child of God. Our primary task is to serve each other. And according to this text, the church is not, the local church even, is not some random gathering of God's kids. We're a chosen and assigned gathering of God's family, perfectly chosen for the needs of this flock and the needs of the ministry he's called us together to. This is what's so devastating when somebody decides that they don't like the worship or they don't like the pastor and they just leave a church. It's been turned into in this culture like, I get to choose what church I attend based upon my likes. Who's the center of that subject? It's me, it's not God. When was the last time, and, I, and this is a weird question to ask because you're all in church this morning and most of you go here, but when you went looking for your church the last time, if you ever did, did you ask yourself, not God, where do I want to go or where do I fit in, but where do you want to place me? It may be the most dysfunctional of all churches you find. What if church doesn't exist to make you feel good or convicted? What if church exists for God's glory and you're there to participate in his work of glorifying himself? Do you understand that? I mean, this is tough. These are tough questions because our flesh wants what our flesh wants. You could be the most faithful man or woman of God, but if you call a contractor to come work on your house and they rip you off, you get mad because you shouldn't treat me like that. Well, we feel the same about God. I'm your child. I'm saved. I preach. I teach. I minister. I evangelize. So why do I have cancer? Why, 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 why am I not happy? Why do I struggle with anxiety? Why, God? Why is my pastor such a fill-in-the-blank? Why, why, Lord? I didn't like song number two. I'm just tired of fill-in-the-blank. Or how about some of you who don't feel like you're being loved on here like you should? Maybe God's calling you here not to be loved on, but to love on others. I didn't like Sunday's message. Maybe the message wasn't for you that week. It was for the person in front of you. Maybe you should spend more time praying for the person in front of you when you hate the message. You understand what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying any of you would ever do that because the preaching here is phenomenal. Having said that, the truth is that we still come to this like we come to a, uh, I don't know, a place of lunch. We, we want good service. We want what our money gets. We want results. We want feeling. When in reality, the purpose we gather is to come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full, complete standard of Christ, so that we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body of the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The reason you're here this morning is not to learn, but to serve, to look at the person, to help the church grow in maturity. Because Scripture actually tells us that as the day of the Lord's return draws near, that even the church itself, if God doesn't remove us from the equation, will be deceived. Satan's lives not only sound attractive and right, they feel good. What we do each time we gather is hugely important part of what God is doing in the world. It's part of the reason we're still here. We gather to actually serve one another to grow each other up, to mature each other, so that we're not easily deceived by people who say stuff we want to hear. <laughs> do, do you get that? 
Satan knows you. He's been watching you with his minions since you were born. He knows your flesh. He knows your weaknesses. It is amazing. When I look at Anna, that little girl, when she thinks she's funny, she has the same smile at 21 that she had at 2. It is bigger than life. It covers her whole face. It's kind of, I know I'm dressed If you don't know my daughter, that sounds weird. She's beautiful, but she has a big face. Teeth. She smiles. And I, and I say that I, over Christmas, we went up to Ohio to do a wedding. And, and I would say that to her when she would laugh. I'd say, you are the same face that that two-year-old two girl. I've got pictures of her um, just with that smile. We gather to serve, to grow each other up. Oh, we have to understand that Lucifer knows our weaknesses. He's been watching you or his demons have been watching you forever. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what you want to hear on a regular basis, what you want to feel on a regular basis. And he will even use the church to distract you from God. I want to be clear that the church is the second line of defense in your spiritual health. The first line is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit uses the church to protect you from the lies of the world. And I know that some of you struggle with that as we've at times mentioned ministries and names that are heretical, and we'll continue to do that if they are impacting the church and clearly heretical. But the reason we do that is to make the hair on the back of your neck rise up. You don't even have to agree with us when we talk about that, but you at least have to study the Scripture to see if we're right or wrong. How do we do this? By comforting each other. This is how we're the second line of defense, spiritual defense for each other. We comfort each other. We encourage each other. We confront each other. We hold each other accountable at times. We pray for each other. This is, this is really hard, and it's really weird to say it's hard, and you'll, you'll agree when I say it. We don't really pray for each other that much. I, I know you take the prayer guide at home and you pray, but when somebody shares with us a crisis in their life, when was the last time you said, let me pray a 20-second prayer for you. Dear Lord, help Mark as he's struggling right now. Because Connie's birthday was yesterday, and she's all about herself this week. I'm making that up, but paybacks are sweet, Connie. The, the truth is, when was the last time somebody came to you? And I just really want you to ask this. This isn't a slam on you, because I do it too. Where somebody was sharing their heart with you, or, or even a blessing, something good or something bad in the church, and they shared it with you, and you went, let me just pray a blessing over you, or let me just pray for you right now. It doesn't have to be a flowery 10-minute prayer. It's a 10-second prayer. Lord, thank you for how you're blessing Jim Haley, and I just pray you'd continue. When was the last time, though, somebody came to you with a real burden on their heart, and you actually said, let me pray for you, a 10-second prayer? This place should freak people out when they visit, because all over this room are people just praying for each other. That's what we do. Well, I pray in a different way. Maybe people need to see you praying with each other. I pray that 2020 is a year of breaking out of prayer in this church. And it doesn't have to be prayer meetings. It's, it's spontaneous prayer meetings that take place all the time. Taking care of each other. We pray for each other. We also serve one another by teaching each other. You don't have to be an official teacher in order to teach. You get to question and argue and wrestle we encourage in Carpenter's Way, we encourage you to disagree with what's preached with one rule. you got to use Scripture. We encourage that. And there are times that I'm wrong. It happens once or twice a year. It's not fun. 
But I've come up here and told you when I was wrong. That's what we do in a church. A church isn't a monolith of thought. Our culture has become a monolith of thought. You're either Democrat or Republican, and you hate one. and hate. I mean, it's crazy what's happening in our culture. It's happened in the church too. There should be people in our church who speak in tongues in their prayer closet. There should be people in this church who don't agree with that. That's the, that's the way the body of Christ is. There should be people in this church who believe in election and people who believe purely in free will. And for the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of our ministry together, we should be teaching each other. We should share our thoughts. There should be hymn people and chorus people. There should be people who work with their hands and doctors and lawyers. There should be white people and black people and brown people. There should be rich people and poor people. All coming together from a different perspective, but filled with the Spirit, helping us to understand what it is that God has called us to do. How do we do this? By singing together by rallying around God's word together, by meeting together, by eating together, by talking to each other, by wrestling with each other around God's word. Holiday dinner gatherings are difficult, are they not? None? None of you have difficult holiday? Okay, don't answer that. They are. Because every one of us has a crazy uncle or aunt. And when they show up, they're always an hour late. So some of you have figured out how you invite them an hour early. And then they've discovered that. So this year it was two hours early. But the truth is that we've all got that. Maybe our families are not supposed to be all alike. Maybe our families are supposed to be mixed with crazy people and serious people. And, and thinkers and doers and workers and scientists and practical blue-collar thinkers and mechanics. and Just like the church. Don't let the church become... A place where just like-minded people, we have to agree on one thing. Let me make it two. Salvation through faith in Christ alone and the Word of God is our final authority. Those are the two things we agree on. Underneath that, if we disagree on Scripture, it's because there's room within Scripture to disagree. And by the way, salvation and how a person is saved is not one of those things. It's very clear. But the other stuff, don't leave because the pastor doesn't agree with you. Change the pastor's mind. I don't know, you're very well trained, then maybe I'm right. No, you're not. Then prove me wrong. You're the pastor. Okay. Stop it. We're family. And I have the right to be wrong, and you have the right to be wrong. But we're in this together to build each other up, to minister to each other, to help each other not be blown around by every wind of doctrine. I beg of you, don't just sit here looking at a blinking cursor on your spiritual screen this year. Don't just come and watch someone else type away. I had a friend across the valley from where I lived um, that I was close with. Man, he had a, he had a Commodore 64, and he had, he had some floppy disks that had games in them. And I would go over to his house, and I would watch him rock those games. Now, they're nothing compared to today's games. They were games where they would ask you questions, and you would answer it, and it would take you somewhere. But man, he was good at it. And it would drive me to go home and work on mine for 15 minutes until I was done with the next letter I would print out. But I didn't stick with it like he did. Oh, rise up, church. Rise up, church. Be what God created you to be. There are people in this church that are hurting and people that are celebrating and there are people that are rich and there are people that are poor. But we are in this together until we go home. So how do I do that? Jump in. Be here. On time. That's the first time I've said that in 15 years. No, I said it once ago, once 10 years ago. 
How about early? You know, there's a lot that goes on before you get in here. People are shaking hands and they're hugging. And Let's start praying for each other. Get here a little early. Here's the trick on getting here early. Start 15 minutes before you started this morning. That's all you got to do. Start 15 minutes early. Sing. When the words are on the screen, sing. I, I know that that's, to some guys, that seems like a woman's thing. We know you have bad voices. We already took that into account. We'll turn up the music on the screen. Sing anyway. Sing. Pray. Go to Bible study. Well, I, I don't like the format of Bible study. Then maybe you should go and care for others in that format. Serve. Lots of opportunities to serve. The children need it. The students need it. The adults need it. Sometimes we have chairs that need picked up or communion to be taken or we need sound boards to be handled. There are positions for wherever you are in your spiritual journey. There's things for you to do. Jump in. Give. You saw this morning the benefits of giving. 650 pastors in Uganda that didn't own a Bible now own one because you gave. That's pretty cool. Join, men, join us on Tuesday morning, 6.30 to 7.10. I know that's early. But it gives you time to go home, pick up your kids, and take them to school if that's your responsibility. But join us on Tuesday mornings. Well, it's just another Bible study. It's not really. It's family time. With guys. No women allowed. Ladies, go to women's Bible study. There are so many different ones available to you, and most of them are built on fellowship. They study the scriptures, and they go to lunch, and they build relationships, and they pray for each other. And when you have a thought that may not go along with the thinking that is being shared, share it. You have the right to be wrong, just like the teacher does. And that's okay. Because maybe somebody will change the way that they think by hearing what you have to say. Choose to be a healthy part of this body. Do your special work. Well, what's my special work? Give me a test, Pastor. You don't need a test. Start where you want to serve. Help the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from uh, far from the life uh, God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. That doesn't mean sexual pleasure. The word lust can be defined as an insatiable desire for more of anything. They want what they want. They live for a lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, I'm going to jump on now to the end. But this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And, and it's a fair question to say, thank you, Paul. Okay, I will. But what does that look like? Here it goes. Ready for this? Verse 25. Stop lying. It's not complicated. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Pastor, what if somebody has a really bad haircut, and they ask me if I like it? Am I supposed to tell them it's a really bad haircut? Just point at them, lean back, and say, now that's a haircut. They'll think you're complimenting them. 
or run the other way or tell them you liked it longer. Stop lying to each other. Stop saying, how, when, you, when somebody asks you, how are you, don't say fine if you're not fine. Ask somebody to pray for you. Well, I don't want to be a burden. That's why we gather to burden each other. That's why this started with make allowance for each other weaknesses. Because we're supposed to be a burden to each other. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. We're supposed to celebrate together. He goes on. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Verse 28, if you're a thief, ready for this one? Knock it off. Pay your taxes. Don't cheat the system. If you commit to paying a bill, pay the bill. If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them, but stop stealing. In fact, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, don't bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit by, by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's what it looks like to walk worthy of your calling. That's what Paul wanted the church of Ephesus to do now that they were saved. And that's my prayer for us in 2020. And it's going to have to start with me. I want us to strive for this. But whether we accomplish it is, is really up to you. Chad, why don't you join me up here? I'm going to ask our men to come forward um, as we prepare for our, our communion time. This morning, as we prepare for communion... I want us to take communion this morning in this, in this vein, in this question. What have I not given for the Lord? What am I holding back that Paul exhorted us this morning to do? What can I do that I'm uncomfortable with but I should be doing? You're here to serve or to be served. One more thing I want to share with you. I have never been part of a church that did the ordinance of foot washing. Have some of you been in a church like that? I think if I were, however, the last thing I would do before I came to church is wash my own feet. You know why? Because I don't want anybody seeing my stinky feet. If we did it once a quarter or once a month like communion, I'd probably go have a pedicure before we did it. You realize that defeats the purpose of washing each other's feet, right? The purpose of washing each other's feet is to help each other's feet become healthy. You're not supposed to come in here and pretend like you've got it all together unless you do. And if you have it all together, it's your job then to find somebody who doesn't have it all together and bring them up to speed to encourage and help and confront and love on. That's why we're gathering. Not to hear Mark eloquently communicate God's Word in amazing ways, <laughs> but because God brought us here to be family. And it's dysfunctional, but it's God's. And so I ask you this morning as we enter 2020, I know a lot of you have decided to lose weight. Good for you. Some of you are going to start working out for the next two weeks. Good for you. 
can we add one more thing? Let's make this church what God wants her to be. Let's not commit to witnessing one person a day. You can do that, but let's start with what Paul wants to start with. Let's come in here and let's minister to each other. Or let's let somebody minister to us. Let's, let's figure out where we're at, own it, humble ourselves and say, I need you to wash my feet, or say, can I wash your feet? That's what we're supposed to be now that we're saved. And by the way, that's what Jesus did for us. Before they celebrated the blood being shed that would remove sin, he wanted them to understand that he allowed his body to be broken. He put up with them. He washed their feet. He constantly dealt with them in their dysfunction. And in the Last Supper, he said, you do what I have done. I'm the master. Now you go do what I've done. And This is what he was talking about. Let's pass out the bread. As these men pass this out, if you are a child of God, participate, even if you don't come to Carpenter's Way. This isn't a Carpenter's Way thing. This is a Body of Christ thing. If you're part of another church, decide to help that church become all that God wants her to be. If you're part of Carpenter's Way, ask yourself, am I doing what God's called me to do based upon Ephesians 4? Even if it breaks me, do I need to be ministered to? Or is it time for me to start ministering? I'm going to be quiet for a few moments and give you a chance to talk to the Lord. I've always felt like one of the weaknesses of the way that we do church is pastors get up front and they start by telling you what's wrong with you. I've had a lot of you in the last few weeks because of some things that have gone on over the last few months say I'm praying for you and I want to thank you for that. Emotionally, it's been hard. Things happen in the church that are heartbreaking. For those of you who don't know, we lost a dear sister just a couple weeks ago to a tragic death. It doesn't, the details don't matter. What does matter is that affects me. Please pray for me. I get tired. Pray for each other. There's a lot of people in this church that were involved in ministry and it was, and they're wondering, just like Chad said this morning, what's going on, God? Last year, we had so many people get sick and on staff, our families. It's crazy. Dolores got cancer and the Bonnens got hit with a couple illnesses. And a crazy year. But God's still good. Even if I don't feel like He's good. But you remind me of that. Now remind each other. God's good. He's authored the story. That song that Chad led us in about sovereignty. The end is going to be so good, you guys. The middle is going to be a little hairy, though. So we've got to stick together. Lord Jesus, make us that church as you birthed her to be. Would you talk to your Father in heaven personally right now and tell him you're willing Tell him you know you're his captive. 
Tell them you know that you don't want to do some of the things he's asking you to do, but you're willing if he'll empower you. Ask him to give you eyes that see the ministry or the humility to be ministered to. Ask him to help him help you not want to wash your feet before you become vulnerable. Tell him you love him. trust him. Tell him to help you with your lack of trust. Tell him that since he went first, as exemplified in this broken bread, you're willing to follow too. And so, Lord Jesus, following your example, we give ourselves to you again to do whatever you ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take in remembrance of him. Children of God, you can continue talking to your father while I talk to those who don't know the Lord. The uh, grape juice that's being passed out right now is simply an image of what Jesus did. The Bible tells us that it was through the shedding of Christ's blood that there's forgiveness for sin. It tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes won't perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation isn't a Baptist thing. It's not an evangelical thing. It's not a church thing. It's, it's just a thing that God did on behalf of people. And you can be saved. But it is giving up control of your life. It really is. It's saying doing my life the only own way doesn't work, so I'm going to turn and follow you. I'm sorry that many Christians don't live that way. But don't keep God's kids from keeping you from God. Today is the day of salvation. Accept his gift. Join the family of God. Join us. Lord Jesus, if there's somebody watching online or in this room this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, make them part of your family today, Father. I pray that they would cry out to you and accept your offer to forgive sin. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I think one of my favorite things as a pastor is watching you take communion. I'm not staring. I'm thinking I have the best job in the world. To watch God's kids quiet their hearts as a community and just say, okay, God, we remember. It's a good thing. Good thing. Because Jesus told us to do this on a regular basis so we don't forget why we gather. What makes it even meaningful? The blood of Christ that not only forgives us from sin but connects us as family. The Holy Spirit comes in and binds us together. We do this often to remember Him. Let's do it together. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. I ask You now, Lord Jesus, Would you please make us more of what you want us to be as a church, as families, and as individuals? We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask the elders to go ahead and make their way to the doors for benevolence offering. Um, If you, uh, our benevolence offering helps those in our congregation who may be going through financial difficulties. Remember I said that we either come to serve or be served. We also help each other out. And sometimes it's very humbling, but sometimes we need help. And we do that as a family through this benevolence fund. And uh, if you're able to help, if you would drop a few bucks in a plate, if you're not, that's okay too. Uh, If you need some, come and we'll help. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll start, we'll get back in our series next week. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.